welcome to the Creators Call podcast, where we explore technology and how it is used for education. I'm your host, John Lazar, and today we're joined by Trans Bansali, the co-founder and head of engineering, and Lily Dworkin, software developer for Socratic. So how are you guys doing today? Great, how are you? Doing good, doing good. This is now the first time we've had multiple guests at the same time. So it's, you know, a milestone for us. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So hope we don't mess with the format. <laughs> so what exactly is Socratic? So Socratic is an education company um, with a mission to make learning easier. And at the moment we're focused on high school students and specifically on students who are at home trying to do homework or studying for a test and looking for help on the internet. I'm trying to make learning easier for them in that moment. Um, it's like kind of a stressful moment late at night usually. And we found that there aren't a lot of great resources out there for those students. So that's who we care about. Okay. And you guys have an app that's created to help them with their schoolwork. Yeah. Um, our app was uh, recently released. It lets students take a picture of a question. Um, it then reads the question, figures out what concepts they need to understand to answer it, and then tries to teach them those concepts. How exactly does it work? Um, you mean the, the technology behind it? Well, the, the usage, how a student would use it to answer their question first. Right, so um, a lot of students, they get um, you know, homework sheets or they're given questions in a textbook that they need to answer. And what we found is universally, Students, when they're doing their homework, they get confused and they go to the internet and look for help. And what most students do today is they go to Google and they type in the exact question. And what they usually find is a Yahoo Answers page. Once in a while, they'll get to Wikipedia if the concept names are in the question, but often they're not. So they'll end up on a bunch of these websites that have been around for a while with varying levels of quality and comprehensiveness. So that's what happens today. And so what we'd like students to do, and what students do on our app already is, uh, they take a picture of the question, like exactly as it is um, on their homework sheet or in their textbook. And then once our AI does its thing, we show them a bunch of results that we gather from across the web um, and from our own database. So for example, if the question is like, if you have a gas at this temperature and this volume and the temperature goes up to this other temperature, what's the new volume? Um, that's a Charles Law problem. Our AI would figure out its Charles Law problem and then we would show you a bunch of things, including um, a really simple, high quality piece of content that our community has made that'll teach you Charles Law. So that's the first thing you'd see. Um, then we'll also give you videos, like the best videos we found online We'll define the important terms. We'll also do a search on the web, and based on everything we've learned so far, we'll gather the best links, speed them up, pull out the important information, and present that in an easy-to-read format. So it's like the best of what exists on Google, and YouTube, and the best things that expert teachers that we work with can create to teach you. So it's like having a tutor. So you take a picture of a question, and it's like this tutor comes along and teaches you the concepts, gives you all the relevant uh, resources you can find. Okay, and is it all AI driven or is it actually human curation as well? 
Um, so there are multiple stages in the process, and some of them use AI, and then some of them use uh, human um, expertise. Um, basically, I guess there are uh, three main stages. I'll just kind of go through them in overview. So the first stage is when the student takes a picture of the question. We, want, we need to convert that picture into a text question that we can then work with. Um, and that process also has two steps. The first step is that they often take a picture of maybe like a large section of a page or a worksheet. And we have to guess based on the photo and the angle um, what, what actually on the worksheet they're, they're trying to take a picture of. So we identify the particular question or sentence um, that we think is our algorithm to convert the text in that photo to actual a string of text. Um, so once that OCR is done, we've extracted the relevant text question from the photograph. And then we run another uh, machine learning algorithm to determine what the underlying pedagogical concepts for that question are. And that is also a multi-step process. Um, so we have two classifiers, or sorry, several classifiers that we run in pipeline. Um, the first classifier determines which subject question belongs to. This was trained on a corpus of um, tens of thousands of questions, each of which was labeled with its correct subject, like history, physics, biology. And the classifier predicts which um, you know, a school subject the question is. And then once we've identified that, we also have subject-specific classifiers that were trained on even larger data sets of questions. Um, and those classifiers predict what particular concept in this subject the question is actually getting at. So you know, the, the subject might be chemistry, but the underlying concept is that it's a Charles Law problem. Um, and so we run, once that classifier is done, we then know what particular concept the question belongs to. So AI takes us that far, it tells us that we've got you know, a question asking about Charles Law. Even if the words Charles Law don't actually appear in the question, we've learned that from the units and from other words that appear in the question that are, that are um, indicators. At that point, we actually then rely a lot on human expertise. So as Shrain's mentioned, we work closely with a community of teachers and volunteers um, who write custom content for our app. And so they have helped us write really succinct, targeted pedagog pedagogic pedagogical content for these concepts. Um, so we have a page on Trials Law, we call it an explainer. It's this short little card that appears in your app, and it teaches you the core concepts you need to know to solve a problem on Trials Law. So that's kind of the entire flow from the AI taking you from a photograph to a concept, and then the human teacher is taking you the rest of the way to understanding comprehension. Just one thing to add to that. Um, the data that we fed into our AI to train it, that, that involved a lot of human effort as well. So at the outset, it wasn't obvious what the set of concepts would be that we'd want to deal with. And for a given question, how do we figure out the right bucket so we actually work with a bunch of chemistry experts for chemistry and about biology experts for biology to figure out like within the high school curriculum, these are usually the concepts and this is how they break down. And then they actually went through and labeled hundreds of thousands of questions. Um, so it's a lot of human effort to get the right data. And then uh, we can train an AI. And then there's a bunch of other human effort to create the content. So it's a really pretty solid mix of human and computers. So it's sort of like the Pandora for education. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whatever happens if the computer can't figure out uh, what the student is asking or what they're trying to learn, something like that. Yeah, um, good question. That's always going to happen. And I guess in our world, it's 
it's more a matter of like how low can we get that error rate? We're like never going to get it down to zero. Um, so there's there's going to be a bunch of questions that we, we can identify the concept, but we we identify the wrong concept. That's one one situation, and for that we try to have a you know we try to figure out the right threshold. Like if our confidence is not above a certain amount, we won't show. We won't tell them that understand. Um, in other cases, we can't we can't uh, identify it yet. In both those cases, we still search the web, and so we can at least give you the best of what's on the web, but we may not be able to give you our special explainers or the best videos. So there is a, a, there's a nice fallback where it's still better for the student to use us than to go to Google. Does a teacher ever step in to try and help if they can't get information, or is it just not, down to the AI? Not at the moment, um, but that's definitely something that's going to happen in the future. I mean, like, like we said, we have a large community that has been creating content online, answering specific questions on Socratic.org. Um, that community is going to be more and more involved in what the app does. So at some point, if we don't have a great answer, or if we do and you're still confused, you will be able to talk to a person. Uh, our goal for the app, for the first versions of the app, was to provide instant help. Um, so, you know, when you're struggling, it's 10 p.m., you need an answer for the next morning. Uh, waiting a couple of hours for an answer is realistic. That makes sense. So what inspired you to create the this sort of AI tutors kind of thing? Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a long story. Let me, let me try to shorten it. Um, Chris and I met three years ago, and we both wanted to work in education for a bunch of different reasons. We had, um, Chris had worked at Google for many years. Uh, I was at Venmo for many years. We had both left feeling like, we have a bunch of skills. We could work on a whole bunch of interesting things. But we both really care about education because we felt like if you can solve that, people are empowered to solve a whole bunch of other things in their lives. It's like it's the root solution to lots of problems. Um, in education, we quickly realized that there was this huge world of people creating content online, and a lot of people are watching, like YouTube videos specifically. A lot of people are creating YouTube videos from students. Like students wanted independent help online. And a lot of people wanted to help create it. So uh, from that time on, like three years ago, we settled on this problem of students online looking for help and like, wanted to get the best content to them. As we started thinking about the mobile world, um, this idea of instant help became really important. Um, there's a lot of services where you can either wait a while to get an answer, like you could go to Quora or, or Socratic.org and like, wait a few hours to get a good answer. There's other services where you can get an instant answer, but you have to pay a human at the other end to answer it. But what we realized was there might be thousands of questions that look different, but what you need to answer all of them is the same idea. Like there's a thousand ways to ask the Charles Law question. So we, we realized that if we can automatically and instantly get from a random new question to the concept, then this community that we've been uh, like trying to build over the last few years, they could create one piece of content that, that could just answer thousands of questions at least let a lot of students in a lot of situations get unstuck. So we realized that what we basically wanted to create something that was instant and free and helping these students in this moment. And that led us down this path to, to realizing we needed to build this AI that would, that would be able to classify questions. Our, our users have been the same. The problem's been the same. But as like we've raised the bar for ourselves in terms of how quickly we want to be able to help them and how high quality experience we want to give them. AI became like a central thing, like a central tool that would help us solve these problems.
And are you getting good adoption within the schools themselves, or is it just people having trouble doing homework and finding you and using it? Um, it's mostly, right now, we focus on uh, direct student downloads. So we've spent a very cool time school districts and parents who are also very interested in stuff like this so they can help their students, but other kids better. We spent much less time on, on those fronts um, because we've just spent most of our time developing the app and like, just making sure it all works. Um, now we're entering this new phase where we've just released the first version and getting it out of people's hands is much more important. Um, we do think students are pretty smart. They know what they need. They go out and they find the right stuff and they know what works for them. So our focus is always going to primarily be on students, like them going out and finding the tools and telling their other friends what they're using. But for sure, teachers and parents and schools are going to increasingly be more and more important uh, for us through chat. That makes sense. So you start with the students and it'll filter down to the schools eventually. Just yeah, I mean, the dream would be a teacher one day notices that half, half her class or his class is already using Socratic, and they should, you know, they should find out what it is and tell all the other students that they should be using it. Or parents hear about it from other parents. You know, basically, a lot of people care about this problem. A lot of people know students who would really benefit from it. So word of mouth is going to be a big thing. If you can build a product that, like, as soon as somebody uses it, they feel like this is special and it's actually going to be helpful, they will talk about it. So we're really excited for that to like, start picking up as, as we get it in front of more people. Sounds good. And it's much better than Googling and hoping to find the teacher's answers online so you can actually right, get an yeah. understanding. Uh, right. I mean, it's kind of surprising. Yahoo Answers is probably the biggest education site in the world. Just nobody thinks about it like that because that's where everyone ends up at the end of the day. <laughs> including me. <laughs> and, I th and I thought it was just a place for silly answers to questions. Great. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. There is a lot of entertainment on there, for sure. <laughs> well, there's always the famous, how is Babby formed? Yeah. Yeah, yeah classic. Uh, so what kind of technology are you guys using under the hood for Socratic? Um, so a whole bunch of different uh, technology, depending on which part of the experience you're talking about. Um, so for our, our mobile app, the back end is written in Go um, primarily, and then of course um, Swift for the, the front iOS component. Um, we're iPhone only right now, but hopefully we'll expand to Android in the future. Um, so yeah, the back end for that is, is Go. Uh, a lot of the content we serve, like these explainer cards, um, are served on a different server and is written in Python. Um, and Python is also what we've used for all of the machine learning classification. Um, so we use, um, like, uh, uh, I'm blanking out, oh, scikit-learn, um, the Python library for machine learning um, for, for most of that. Um, what about the classifiers? Um, that's scikit-learn. Oh, but like the, the way, like TF idea. Oh, right, sorry, right. So the particular algorithms we're using for the classification um, first, we use a TNF-IDF algorithm, which is responsible for um, cleaning up and processing the string text that we get back from the OCR um, and learning which words are important and which words can be ignored, like, you know, and, or, but, why, all that, um, and which words have actually significant semantic meaning, um, and also what words are synonyms and so might look different but actually mean the same thing. Um, so TNF-IDF kind of um, learns all its information about the questions 
and then it converts the uh, string of text into a, into a set of numbers that a computer can understand. So after TF-IDF runs, our uh, text questions have been turned into numbers and kind of stripped down to their core informational content. And that numeric matrix is what gets passed to our classifiers. Um, and those are support vector machines at the moment. So both the subject classifiers and the concept classifiers are SVMs um, trained on these large corpuses. And we've used um, bridge search and cross-validation to pick the best parameter settings at the moment um, and are constantly looking to improve accuracy and, and use more sophisticated techniques. But right now, this works pretty well for us. An interesting, and in hindsight, maybe kind of obvious lesson from all of this is the hardest part about machine learning is getting the right data and getting enough of the right data. So yeah, that's been a, that's been a huge focus, making sure that we're constantly labeling new questions or that we're, we're confident about our labels um, and we just get a whole lot of that. Yeah, no, definitely like dealing with the, the messy data is one of the biggest challenges we have, we've had in dealing with this because um, questions can just look so dramatically different but have the same underlying concept. And also questions often have multiple different underlying concepts or overlapping concepts and trying to put them into one you know, individual bucket um, is very tricky. And oftentimes figuring out, I mean, it's funny, a lot of machine learning tasks that, you know, I've used in the past, like, um, are very easy for a human to do. And maybe, you know, so deciding whether a picture has a cat in it, like any, any person can do that. Um, and so it's easy to collect a lot of data quickly. But our task is actually really challenging because it's often very hard to decide what the underlying concept for a question is. Um, and so even a person, we, we, I mean, we, we've seen this in our office that we have multiple teachers who disagree on what the right concept is. And so at that point, when even people are disagreeing, it's very hard to teach a computer how to do it well. Um, yeah. So do you find that there are some subjects that students are coming with more than others? Um, we get a lot of math queries. Mm -hmm. So like the, the biggest subject for us is definitely math. Math is definitely the biggest. Yeah. Uh, I'm you, you, kind of, you, you kind of froze right after the first sentence of the biggest is definitely math. Oh, yeah. So I was thinking, so math is the biggest subject. Uh, after that, there's a bunch of sciences, um, like chemistry, biology, physics, physics being the smallest. And we also get a lot of US history, world history questions. We also get a lot of like To Kill a Mockingbird and like the classic English texts that everyone around the world actually studies. Um, uh, but yeah, math is the biggest of them. That makes sense. So where do you see this technology going in the future? Hmm. Um, so a few things. So one is um, we're actually, we need, there's a lot of work to be done on the math side of things. So that is our biggest subject. Um, but we currently actually perform the poorest on it um, for a couple of reasons. One is that on the input side of things, um, going from a picture of a math equation to text, it's actually a much harder problem than going from a picture of, of words to text. Um, so the OCR algorithm we use does a terrible job of converting a picture of a math equation um, into something that is you know, sensible. Um, so first we need to figure out what algorithms can be used to improve that process. Um, but then even once we do have the right math equation in front of us and if it's formatted properly, figuring out what results to show for that and um, how to perform the right searches on the web for videos, what content to create, how to, what particular you know, solver the student is actually looking for. 
Um, there's a whole bunch of questions to be asked there, and we suspect that we'll have to create new machine learning technology to address that problem. Obviously, TF-IDF is not going to work the same way on a math equation as it does on, on, a, on a sentence of words. So math is definitely one big open direction for us. Um, and also, just like I said, um, trying out new algorithms um, to improve the machine learning across the spectrum. So I'm, I'm really happy with the SVMs so far, but I think there's lots of um, room for improvement there, lots of algorithms we haven't tried. Um, I'm curious to use algorithms that take word order into account. So right now, our algorithm just looks at each question as like a bag of words and doesn't know or care what order the words came in. And sometimes that word order actually makes a big difference. It can be the difference between solving for a variable temperature and solving for the variable pressure, um, you know, which exactly kind of understand the semantic meaning of the question is something that our current algorithm struggles with. Um, so yeah, kind of investigating new techniques in that area. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of AI stuff that we want to improve. Outside of the AI world, um, getting people involved in the mix so when we don't have a great answer, getting it to the right person in our community that has knowledge of that topic, um, you know, making sure those questions get answered very quickly. There's, there's, there's a whole world of challenges there. Um, that's going to be an interesting problem. Um, and then just generally the kinds of results we show, like we can always expand the types of stuff, like especially with um, a lot of the sciences, it would be really cool to have like interactive widgets show up as one of the cards, like something that visualizes for you as temperature goes up, you move the slider, this is what happens to pressure. And like knowing that this is the interactive thing that you should see for this question, like stuff like that, I think there's like a whole world of stuff we can explore there. Um, basically, the, where we're headed is like more and more personalized help based on like the history of the student, specific question they're asking, you know, we will we'll know things like what school system they're in, what things they studied previously, what did they struggle with previously. So just like making sense of that data is like this whole other challenge. Anyway, there's a lot of interesting technical and product challenges over the next few years if things go well this year, which I think we're off to a really good start. Cool. It's a very interesting project and I look forward to seeing more of it. So where can people find more about Socratic online? Um, Socratic.org um, is, we'll, we'll tell you about our app and you can also check out the community part of it where you can uh, get involved with writing answers um, and like helping us organize all this content that gets shown to students. So Socratic.org would be a great place. We also have a lot of, uh, we, we're starting to write more and more about why we're building what we're building and how and for whom and where it's going um, on our blog. That's blog.socratic.org. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter at, uh, at Socratic.org. Very cool. Thank you, Franz <laughs> Bonsali and Lily Twerkin for joining me today. To comment on this episode or to listen to other episodes of The Creator's Call, please visit thecreatorscall.com. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thank you.